We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast, presented as always by DraftKings.com. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. It is late afternoon Central Time on Wednesday, May 2nd. Uh, just one game on the ledger tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I think this is probably good for some who cover the league, you know, to, to have things kind of slow down a little bit. But after having a couple of weeks where you basically have two to four games and you know the way that the schedule shook out especially toward the end of the first round three or four games most nights all of a sudden a one game night like this you know it just doesn't feel quite the same but we got jazz at the rockets tonight game two of that series we'll of game two Cavs raptors on thursday and game two of Sixers celtics on thursday as well uh, a couple housekeeping items it's paul george's birthday okay it's his 28th birthday um he was two of 16 <laughs> shooting in game six, which of course was the final game uh, of the first round. I was not able to see that game. I had a horribly timed trip to Talladega, Alabama, 
Clinton um, from Friday through Monday. Did not realize that the basically the entire town of Talladega doesn't have cell phone service. Okay. So once we pulled into the NASCAR track, we basically went dark for four days. <laughs> couldn't get anything. Couldn't make calls. Couldn't send grid. texts. Every now and then, you know, your your LTE would like after spending three hours loading, you'd like be able to refresh Twitter. <laughs> so I was somewhat able to keep up with Game Seven of Cavs Pacers by just refreshing my phone over and over and over and over <laughs> right. for like three straight hours. So I, I felt like I kind of got the gist. Seemed like LeBron <laughs> played well. But I didn't actually see Game 6 uh, of Utah OKC, and that was one that I had, I didn't see anything about until I saw the score the next morning. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that. Coming off of Game 5, I expected a better effort from OKC. <laughs> I, re- I really thought, you know, not, not that they had flipped a switch and all of a sudden, you know, they're they figured it out and all of the previous 84 games of mediocre basketball were behind them but the way that they came back in game five you know there there was really not much debate that they're the more talented team in this series in terms of high-end talent um uh, I, I i expected a better effort in game six and you know when i awoke and was able to check the box score it was very clear that that's not what happened no it was a lot of i mean it's very well documented russell westbrook took 43 <laughs> shots um sure did which i i watched him doing it was kind of terrifying just like uh, any opportunity for him to just even if he's remotely open or if not did you say it was terrifying it was terrifying somebody if somebody asked you how was game six of that jazz thunder i didn't catch it it was it was terrifying it it was the amount that westbrook like regressed i don't even know if regressed is the right word but just decided like i i'm going to do this whole thing myself i don't even have paul george on this team i don't have carmelo anthony on this team carmelo anthony only played 26 minutes still managed to be a minus 19 which is unbelievable i mean the the jazz were just targeting him off like pick and roll anything anything with carmelo anthony on that side of the floor they're like oh we got this now um you know jeremy grant they decided to play him 30 minutes and i mean the that's kind of the you know the one of the stories of the, I mean, the season to some extent, but also right. the playoffs was that Jeremy Grant seemed to fit um, a lot better <laughs> than Carmelo Anthony in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of became more clear, you know, basically in like game one of this series. <laughs> uh, even even though OKC did win game one, that was that was the one game in which Paul George really looked like a superstar. And we'll get we'll get back to what was, I guess, the original point of this conversation. But yeah, I mean, I, I think. Westbrook basically like you said just reverting into 2017 playoffs Westbrook yeah which you know I mean I, I think he was scrutinized similarly because that series ended in five games um it, it was never really close and then obviously the Rockets turned out to not be all that great so in retrospect you know that Russ season as we've talked about really has not aged well it hasn't even been a full year no um but to do that now with you know, all that's happened with, with Paul George arriving. It was a lot more excusable to do it when the other guys on the court were, right. you know, a Victor Oladipo whose persona at that time was night and day from where it is now. Yeah. Robertson, you know, was airballing free throw after free throw. Like it was, it was almost looked at as like a Herculean effort yeah. last year. Even though Westbrook wasn't efficient, he was turning the ball over, he was taking 40 plus shots. It was like, well, he has no choice. He kind of had the LeBron narrative. The he narrative did. that LeBron has now was, was Russ last year. And now when he tries to do the same thing this year, it doesn't quite resonate the same way. Yeah, it, it kind of just felt like no matter who he could have, Michael Jorgen could have been on the floor with him. He wasn't going to pass. You know what I mean? Like it, it was just right. he decided that. Um, and like I, 
I kind of in this specific situation, I understand. Like Paul George is two for sixteen. He's all of six from three. Like I understand why Russell Westbrook felt like he had to take forty three shots because like there really was Corey Brewer took two shots. Like there there wasn't. You know, I mean, if Corey Brewer's not taking shots. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, Stephen Adams had a great game, actually, right. but and he he's a really good player and, and has been for the team. But um, it, it it's kind of the point where you you start to think, what do you – you've committed all your money to Westbrook. Like, you've committed the idea of Russell Westbrook being your franchise player. So now you really have to figure out what you put around him. And they they tried putting – um one and a half stars next to him and that it hasn't worked out the way they thought it would and maybe they'll run it back next season um really depends on the paul george situation but you really have to wonder like do you is it just the point where you this is just who russell westbrook is you really can't change it lots of people have tried it doesn't happen and you just you 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 just fit the roster with role players who are basically just three and d and let Russell Westbrook just keep reliving that MVP season for the rest of his career. And yeah, I don't. I mean, he turns thirty in like the third week of crazy. next season. You that's know, crazy. so if he's going to change his game, it's going to be in the way that I guess a lot of other older players have had to do. And it probably won't be next year. It'll probably be when he's thirty-four. You know, you know. This, yeah. <laughs> I think Jason Kidd is probably the guy who's most often mentioned in terms of like not drastically changing his entire game, but, you know, getting dramatically better in an area that he had kind of neglected for, for other parts of his career. Right. I mean, there's not really a a great test case for someone like Westbrook. You know, I mean, I think that high volume type of shooter, high volume type of scorer, you know, there's only, there's probably only seven or eight guys who've done it to this extreme, you know, in the history of the league. Yeah. And most of those guys are all time players. And it's like, you know, Michael Jordan didn't change the way that he played his dominating offensive style and really until he was with the Wizards. And even then, to some degree, he was still <laughs> doing that. Kobe basically played that way literally until his last second in mm-hmm. the NBA. Like there's not a track record of a guy with, you know, these type of players that you talk about. And I know Kobe and Jordan are you know on the Pantheon, but Westbrook, you know, is is somewhat near that level um in, in terms of modern players I means the reigning mvp i just it's it would be so strange to see him you know just completely turn into the type of player that we've all hoped he would eventually turn into like it's, i just don't think he has a switch to flip you know I, I, if the results have been the same for russell westbrook for basically his entire career you know he's played in one finals um you know struggled in that finals right hasn't gotten back you know, if there's some, I don't see this as like, all right, now I'll switch. Now that this didn't work, now I'll be, I'll become a better team player. Like, I think this is just the way the guy is. I think so too. Um, and a lot of that just stems from Zach Lowe wrote a really good article on, on Westbrook and just talking about how the difference between the Russell Westbrook that we have right now and the Russell Westbrook that we kind of want, it might be like those contested five mid range jumpers. He takes a game. Um, and, also taking less threes because he's a 30% three point shooter and has been for basically his entire career. Um, and he, he jacks up. I'm trying to look at how many he does a lot, a lot Four. last year was seven, which See, is I, ridiculous. I like him shooting threes just because you have to have, Oh, you have to do it. If yeah. you're, if you're a superstar perimeter player, it has to at least be a threat, you know? And like, it's not like guys are playing 10 feet off of Westbrook. Like teams still guard him out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's the pull up threes with a defender in his face that he has to curb you know like and the like, same goes for the mid-range like you mentioned right and i saw i saw something go through twitter about him trying to work on his catch and shoot threes 
this off season, which I'll, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, but, um, that would obviously require him playing off ball, which right. once again, I, unless Paul George ah. is staying and is going to have more of a ball handling role, yeah. like, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know what you do. You, you may, you just keep cycling role players till something clicks and then just keep signing those right. guys. It's like, if you can't make it work with Kevin Durant and you can't make it work with Paul George, I, you know, these are the two kind of archetypes for, you know, the, the type of complimentary player I think you'd want next to Westbrook, which is right. a strong catch and shoot player. George and, and Durant are in the, probably in the top 10 in the league imagine. in that regard. Guys who are strong defenders, both of them are. I mean, Paul George is probably a better defender than Kevin Durant historically, and Durant's going to finish in the top five in defensive player of the year this year. Yeah. You know, I don't know that <clears throat> there's going to be a better combination, especially within the next three or four years. And the thing about Westbrook, you know, we'll see as he ages, but he's not the type of player who you would who you'd expect to age overly gracefully. You know, guys <laughs> with that kind of explosiveness generally have to figure out another way to be effective when they get into their mid-30s. And and like we said, Westbrook hasn't really shown that he's interested in doing that. And no. it kind of seems like it's going to be a we'll cross that bridge when we get there situation. Um, and, you know, I think as point guards climb into their 30s, that that bridge kind of starts to get closer and closer than it might seem, you know, a year ago when he when he signed that big contract. Yeah. And he, I mean, you know, he's been healthy the past three years, which is mm-hmm. good. Like, I think a lot of times like the, you know, the the aging point guards it, they get hit with like the knee injuries and the ankle injuries and it just, it just becomes a really like sharp decline mm-hmm. westbrook if he stays healthy might be able to you know right. he's been healthy most of his career he had like a couple of years but those were the kind of like freak accidents yeah um yeah i mean because you know like like you mentioned with paul george and and durant both those guys are they're basically like they can be three and d guys on the on the wing mm-hmm. knockdown shooters they have the pick and roll big man um and steven adams who just sets like just brick wall screens um for westbrook and uh, so i i really don't i mean we could be talking about this entirely different if carlo carmelo anthony was like replaced by i I don't know who wayne ellington (laughs) you know a 41 percent three-point shooter rather than who's solid at defense rather than this version of Carmelo Anthony that we just saw and the Andre Robertson thing. Yeah. So there's, there's still like kind of like, I could see them completely like running this team back. And if Robertson's there, it could, it could turn out better. There's just not going to be much of a choice. You know, I, the ESPN insider published an article that I actually, I just read before we came in here and it's not a secret, you know, there's only like seven teams right now that are projected to have more than 10 million in space. And and I believe it was Bobby Marks um, who, who wrote the article, and he based his point was basically, yeah, there's these seven teams that could go out and you know try to sign J- the Jabari Parkers and the Aaron Gordons and the Julius Randles of the of the free agent class, but the other thing they could do is just use that space, t- you know, to their advantage, and instead of signing these over market deals that we've traditionally seen over the last couple summers you use it to absorb bad contracts and load up on mm-hmm. picks. And it's like all of a sudden, and I think the example that he used was Chicago. He's like, they've already tipped their hand. They took in the Oshik contract, yeah. which he's like to, to front office people that said, okay, we don't really value this cap space in terms of we're going to go get an elite player this summer. We're just going to use it to load up on an asset. They got a first round pick from New Orleans. Um, and if a couple of, and the overall point was that if a couple other teams do that, all of a sudden there's only going to be like three or four teams that have cap space 
And, you know, that's going to end up really shaping the market, not only for Marcus Smart, Will Barton, um, you know, guys like that, Nurkic, I think can, can be a free agent. You know, a lot of guys are going to be yeah. losing money there. But, you know, the maneuverability of trades and superstar players on big contracts, it's just going to be really hard to make deals because not many teams have the room and the flexibility to do so. Yeah, and that's like, um, that's been like a really big change in the part of tanking like i mm-hmm. you know teams kind of getting smart i think it i mean it probably started with brooklyn i don't really remember you know with like teams well um, they were they were in such a bad position that they almost had no choice but to do that yeah they had smart to, to do it they had to do something completely radical because like they right. were in a rat like radically <laughs> really bad place um and so but then every other team realized like oh like wait we can we can do this too like if if these three years mm-hmm. um are and the 76ers did it as well like if these three or four years that we want to tank and get these draft picks are basically like throwaway years right then why do we even need this cap space mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't make any sense at all because you know if we even if we sign uh, a, a relatively good player it's just going to kill the picks that we can get and then we're going to end up being 500 again for five years exactly and so like you mentioned like I I don't know if this is going to be like the new until there's any sort of reform like I you, you imagine like the bottom six teams mm-hmm. in the league are just going to do this every year. Well, the cap to some degree should should kind of stabilize beginning next summer and then even That's more true. in 2020. Basically what happened, you know, 2 years ago when all the contracts were signed, you know, when the cap went up, it made sense and now that the cap has not really gone up or gone up incrementally, um and it's i think it's it's going up five million dollars less than it was initially projected to go up so it's still rising but only by i think like two million next year um but once all those like big oversized biombo and um, evan turner yeah evan turner those yeah all (laughs) mozgov basically every bad contract in the league came that one summer once those are all off the books then you kind of reset because like all the contracts that are taking up the space right now are those big money ones and then things will kind of stabilize but uh, I thought that was an interesting point, kind of off topic, but a, an article that, that everyone should read. Um, Patrick Beverly's mom won two vehicles and a trip to Madagascar this morning on The Price is Right. Wow. That's, so just wanted you to make sure you were aware of that. Um, yeah. And also, you know, we were just made aware of this before we got in here. Kawhi Leonard's going to Brooklyn. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a done deal. Um, somebody on Twitter tweeted at Stephen A. Smith and said they heard on a local San Antonio radio station that Sean Marks, who of course has ties to the Spurs and is the Nets GM, uh, and Tiago Splitter, who was just hired last week by the Spurs, mm-hmm. are actively trying to get Kawhi to Brooklyn. So sounds like that's a done deal. He should be there. I I, it just make the jersey is almost identical. Yeah. I mean, it, it would just make sense to a yep. smooth transition. You can't throw them in like a, right. you know, Utah Jazz, or it'd just be chaos. Kawhi Leonard, uh, LA native, wants to get as far away as possible from New York. But the really, okay, one, there's a lot of good parts about this. One, the, in the tweet, Kawhi Leonard is spelled K-H-A-W-I-L-E-N-O-R-A-D. So Kawhi Leonard. And then two, yeah. like, if, if even if you say you're listening to the sports radio in San Antonio and they're like, you know, whether this has happened or not, they're like, hey, Kawhi's going to Brooklyn. We got intel. Your first move is to tweet at Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> like, I, I need to verify this. There's only one man who can. It's Stephen A. 
I was probably hoping you would get on ESPN with this tweet, right? <laughs> <laughs> this misspelled tweet. Like, <laughs> we have intel from random guy on well, Twitter. Part of me doesn't like. I don't think Stephen A is, is like the biggest like spelling uh, nerd of, by any means. I don't think that would be an issue. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that that Stephen A read that tweet and, and at least considered reporting. I'm sure a bunch of people email, even if he didn't see it personally. I'm sure someone let him know that <laughs> got he got a tip for you, on Steve. Twitter. Oh, um, man. <clears throat> all right. Um, biggest surprises from the first round. Sure. I'll, I'll let you go first. Yeah. Um, I have two things written down. I try to make them different you know, than yours. Um, the Cavs would – I wouldn't have imagined that really the difference between the Cavs being in the playoffs and out of the playoffs would be the fact that Victor Oladipo shot 25% from the field for three straight games which is probably his worst stretch of the season. I didn't check. I can't imagine he had a worse three-game stretch than that at any point during the season. And it's not like the Cavs have any great defenders on their team at all, um, really. So um, this, it it was, I mean, if if Oladipo didn't, if this didn't happen, we'd be talking about, you know, Toronto and and Indiana right now, um, which I would not have imagined um, heading into the series as, as pessimistic as, I, I wasn't as pessimistic as you about the Cavs, but even still. Um, I don't think that would have been possible. Yeah, right. Um, and then the second thing, like Thonmaker saved the Bucks from embarrassing themselves. Um, John Henson going down, the weirdest blessing in disguise. Um, and I'm a, I'm a John Henson um, hater, um, but even I was like, this is bad. And turns out Thonmaker is just waiting until all the, all the advice he had gotten from KG just came out at once. Um, he ended up with the highest net rating on the team um, of anyone that played 20 minutes, basically. Um, second to only Eric Bledsoe, actually, which is oh surprising. Um, That's also something, like when I was digging through these numbers, it's like obviously Eric Bledsoe had a terrible series, but he had the second highest net rating on the team behind Thought Maker. So I don't really know what to make of any of that. That doesn't make any sense at all. No. That's all I have to say. If anybody, that would have been like my last guess. I mean, I... It, I yeah. think you and I are kind of on the same page with advanced numbers. I'm generally in favor of them, but there were like n- not one time in that series was I like, wow, you know, who's playing really well. That Eric Bledsoe, <laughs> that, that point guard for, for Milwaukee, number six. He was god awful. Definitely the second best player. Right. There's, we still haven't, we haven't come up with a stat, I guess, that measures like not even attempting to run out on open shooters per 36 or anything like that. There's a NBA.com has this player impact rating or player impact. I'm, the PIE, uh, the PI, yeah, yeah, PI rating, and he is eighth on there. Um, but you take out is the that guys measure like, like positive and minutes. negative impact. Uh, you know, I, I can't. I, I looked it up once. It was like the uh, stats, a player's stats relative to box the box score stats. It was very like I tried to figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, that doesn't do as him as many favors. But if you if you're a believer in net rating, then Eric Bledsoe was was actually good. Okay, well, I uh, have to take that into consideration. I'm gonna, <laughs> the eye test. I have to think about that one for a little bit. Uh, maybe just percentage. forget all of what I saw, and we'll go by the numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah, Thonmaker. He wasn't on my list, but that was one of the more surprising. Well, you were elements. there. You were there was, for his yeah, emergence. I was there for the game, the game. Uh, game three in Milwaukee on that Friday. Kind of his his big reemergence. He had really hadn't had a good game since game three of the playoffs last year. So he was due. <laughs> that's certainly for sure. Uh but yeah, I mean that came out of nowhere. And it, you know, it was 
the Bucks were down 0-2 at that point, and it, it did kind of feel like one of those games where everything was going their way, and you know Thon's playing well, and it's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, can he really keep this up? And he was he was very very good for them through the rest of the playoffs. Yeah. Um. So certainly he belongs on this list. I, I had Portland on my list, not a positive surprise, but right. to yeah, go out the fair. way they did, and and you know you have to contextualize it by saying. You know, I wouldn't say they're not your average three seed, but they if one game had broken differently over the past month, they could have been the seven seed, you know, and I think I think things would have been a lot different if the seeding had been different and they lost in round one. But either way, to get swept by, you know, a good Pelicans team. But, you know, I, I think there are only two teams in the West where it was really acceptable to get swept in round one, and that's Houston and Golden State. Um, and as, as much respect as the Pelicans deserve, this was, it, to me, a little bit more of a choke job by Portland. Yeah, and especially since I think the main thing was they were so hot coming into the playoffs. Right. Like they had won, there was like how much did they win in a row? Like fifteen at, at one point. Like that, yeah. So I think I don't know if that made them seem better than they. I think so. Yeah, to some degree, especially with how you know Minnesota kind of limped in. Yeah. Um. You know, and I mean San Antonio had obviously been kind of on the downturn for a little bit, and New Orleans too. I mean New Orleans is, is still to some degree carrying the boogie narrative. You know, where we didn't really know. Even though they've they've played better objectively without Boogie, you mm-hmm. know it seems kind of it, it seems worse to get swept by a team that's missing its second best player. It does, it does. Um, you know. So I think that has something to do with it. OKC wilting in Game Six, which we already talked about. That was mm-hmm. that was a surprise to me. Even though in retrospect, maybe it shouldn't have been. Um, and then just how great Philly looked <laughs> yeah. in those five games. I mean, Miami's a good team. Um, pro- I think Miami was probably a little overrated generally coming into this series. Yeah. Um, Hassan <laughs> Whiteside being unplayable. Right. I mean, that, again, not that big of a surprise. But, I mean, you watched, we talked, you know, in the last couple pods about Philly. Like, they were operating as if they knew they were the best team. And mm. the Miami Heat did not even belong in the same playoff bracket as no. them. And, you know, it sounds kind of silly to say in, in light of what happened a couple nights ago. Um, and I'm going to be very interested to see how, how they respond in game two tomorrow. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think I picked Philly in that series, but it would have been in six or seven. I, w- I was just surprised, you know, the firepower, I guess, that they had offensively, really not even needing Embiid for most of that series. Yeah, he only played three games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they really can operate well. So I mean, surprisingly, without Embiid, even like I, I don't, I don't think if they were playing like Bo- if, if if Embiid was out for the entire Boston series, it might be a different story. But I mean, they've shown that you know Ben Simmons running the team, and you put five shooters around him or four shooters around him, um, four absolute gunners. Yeah, people without conscience, just just they loaded up on unconscious shooters at the deadline. I love it, and it, yeah, it's extremely fun to watch Marco Bellinelli shoot the ball when he's not even facing the basket yeah coming off of screens his body is aimed at the scorer's table and he's just not doesn't care it's like technically they're open right but the amount the amount of turning you're doing in the air like i you know i like that style of basketball like if you have an open three just shoot it like don't even right. i don't even think about it which is part of the reason i like the 76ers but they're taking it i mean they're taking it to another level with right. like guys not like you said like not even facing the basket when they jump um but yeah i mean philly is um Philly's unbelievable even even they lost game one you know here against Boston and it was mostly because of horrible three-point shooting but they were still in the game like it it wasn't it the loss didn't feel as bad to me as I think some people are interpreting Mm -hmm. it so to me Philly is still the favorite 
in the East. I I don't feel, I, I just really don't feel good about Cleveland. We'll get to them shortly. Toronto, I don't trust at all. I, I picked Toronto a couple weeks ago, you know, to come out of the East, but I basically said like all these teams are bad. <laughs> um, Philly right now is plus one thousand to win the title. The Cavs are plus nine hundred. So Vegas now likes the Cavs. This is after last night. And, of course, after Philly went down 0-1, so that changes things a little bit. Right. Um, but Cleveland is a, a slight favorite to win the East, and that's 100% because of LeBron. Right. Um, I guess, yeah, let's, let's just get into the Cavs stuff now. Okay. <sighs> well, we'll start. <laughs> I, have a, I have quite a, a okay. bit here. Um, <laughs> it's really all over the place. The Raptors did not trail at all during regulation of that game yesterday. <laughs> right. They blew a lead they were they were up comfortably for the entire game um i think they went like one of 11 from the field maybe it might have even been closer to one of 13 with all the tips um oh, on yeah. that last possession and almost a lot i mean lebron got a pretty good look uh that from was, the sideline out of bounds yeah. <laughs> and i think he rushed it a little bit which is hard to say with 0.6 but he got it off it well in time and i think could have taken another half second to not be literally running away from the basket as he shot it um but it could have ended there and I thought if it went to OT, I was like, you know, all right, Toronto will pull this out. They were leading the whole game, a couple fluky possessions. They could, they should have had that tip in from Valanciunas to, to probably win the game. Cleveland is playing, you know, for the second time in, in less than two days after playing a seven-game series. And Cleveland went up early in overtime, never surrendered the lead. Right. And that was that. I mean, this is I, – I wouldn't – I mean, this this felt like – I think it was – Alex Wong uh, on Twitter, who writes about the Raptors, had said before the game is like the number of games the Raptors should have won but didn't win that they can afford in this series is zero, and that was <laughs> extremely correct because this was a game that Toronto absolutely, I wouldn't say had to win but should have won, and all of a sudden now we're just back to where we've been the last three years of this team, you know, just not quite being ready for these type of situations. I thought DeRozan was good maybe a little too aggressive at times down the stretch got got backed into some double teams where he had to make some tough passes out Kyle Lowry wanted no part of shooting the ball at all in the fourth quarter I'm very noticeable watching on tv he just if he he caught the ball deep in the backcourt passed it and then just kind of stood around he did have a key and one um you know in in the overtime period but it felt like he just charged in threw the ball up and it it like bounced off Tristan Thompson and went in it wasn't like a, a strong take by any means uh he's the guy if i'm toronto I, i'm a little more worried about like DeRozan, is just make or miss and you're gonna live with that like lowry le- legitimately looks looks shook he does like he doesn't want to be a part of this yeah lowry's had kind of a weird year anyway like they they changed their offense obviously like that's the that's the huge story but it kind of like his um his role in the offense very different than it was last year mm-hmm. like last year he averaged 22 points a game this year he's down to 16. Yeah. Like just a complete drop off. Um I and he lost he he basically same, you know, three point shooting percentage, but lost his, his two pointers. Um so I don't really I don't really understand <laughs> Kyle Lowry like as a player and like he you know, he he was tentative and the problem is like you you even though you have this great bench and you have these role players, you still like you need Lowry and DeRozan. Like you, they both need to have solid games. They both need to be aggressive for these role players to play well, um, because that's how you get the the you know the defense to shift. Is your your role, your star players just 
drive into the paint or just shoot threes and then your role players get better shots and everything like that but um this yeah like you mentioned like this if if the raptors couldn't pull this one out with i mean kevin love was three of 13 um and lebron had a like mediocre game like yeah triple double but it, this was not a great LeBron game by any means. No, twelve. Especially in the 30. fourth quarter, he had he had that fall away, which every time he pulls a shot out is insane to me. The, the amount of ground that he covers on these fadeaways, <laughs> yeah, right? And like it releases the ball so late and still somehow makes it most of the time. Like outside of that ridiculous shot to tie the game, he was not great down the stretch. Um, you know, made some good passes as he usually does, but he wasn't finishing on the ri- around the rim. Wasn't really getting to the rim. Even in overtime, he had a bizarre like blow by i think on ananobi and just passed on a layup to kick it out for three and i, th- I think it was kyle corver who caught it uh and was just unprepared because the layup was so open and the Cavs ended up turning it over so i mean toronto didn't play great they played they played great for three quarters um but to lose this game with lebron going one of eight from three one of six at the free throw line yeah. um yeah it, it just felt like this was toronto's game the entire time and now game two is a must win for toronto you cannot go back to cleveland no where they've had no success whatsoever ever um you can't you can't go back oh two i think that goes without saying and it was and it was weird too because i mean the uh the Cavs are coming off a of game seven that they played like 48 hours beforehand lebron james basically played every minute like that's probably part of the reason he didn't shoot that well because he's probably i mean still right. gassed um and yeah you you going down oh two back to cleveland is um not a good place to be mentally at all no. Um, I think, you know, part of a a lot of what the Cavs were able to do, they got 11 more shots than Toronto. Um, a lot of that was because Tristan Thompson was back (laughs) and grabbing offensive rebounds again, which (laughs) depending on how you feel about Tristan Thompson, like I, I get it, but like he very good offensive rebounder. Um, and for a team that's not that good at shooting, like if you have Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood just firing, like having Tristan Thompson under the basket to collect yes. some misses is nice. Um, and they Cavs barely turned the ball over, like, like six turnovers the whole game Huge. compared to Toronto's 14. Um, mm-hmm. So I think more than anything, it was just the fact that the, the Cavs got more shots because right. um, they like you like we've been saying, they really they shot pretty well from three but didn't shoot well from the line at all. Like it just, they didn't play that well. They just had more chances. Yeah. I, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, in terms of predicting how the rest of the series is going to go. I I really don't know. I think had Toronto pulled out game one yesterday, I would feel pretty good about them winning the series. There's really not a debate that they're the better team overall. Um, It's just a matter of like how much can LeBron cover up he if he's not making free throws and not making threes and he's been he's been like a sub 30 percent three-point shooter in the playoffs which has been a bit of an issue and i think that goes back to fatigue like you said what worries me is that this series at no point throughout the entire series whether it goes four games or seven games is there a two-day break it's every other day through game seven really? so the Cavs are not going to get a two-day break dating back to the previous pacer series which is very odd right because yeah, that doesn't boston right. just played game one on monday night right yeah and they don't play game two until tomorrow thursday right so yeah so raptors Cavs goes every other day i don't know if that's a proximity thing although with celtics philly is even closer than (laughs) cleveland and toronto they basically just walk yeah right um so yeah that's an issue i think that's going to become more of an issue certainly for cleveland than it is for toronto but 
I guess if you want to look at it the other way, it's like, all right, I guess the Raptors, you know, had their break to begin the series. And if you want to call things even after game one, rest maybe isn't an issue. Um, but you would think at some point that's going to catch up with LeBron, especially if, especially if this series were to go six or seven, which in yeah. my mind it probably does. Um, also, lane violation gate. LeBron uh, yes. was not called for any lane violations against the Pacers. He was called for a lane violation in game one. Mm. The Indy Star wrote a column today. Uh, basically complaining that that didn't happen during the last series. LeBron made 63 free throws in that series against the Pacers. Okay. The Cavs' four wins in that series came by a combined 14 points. So if LeBron had to vacate the free throws, they lose that series. I mean, that's a 49-point swing. That is. um, Yeah, and you would think. I mean, that yeah, like you said, 40. What was that, 40? Well, I don't know how I don't know how you define a point swing, but basically, the, I was just subtracting fourteen from I got you. sixty-three. I, got you. I mean, that's yeah, that's the series right there. Cavs but. lose those games by forty-nine points if LeBron gets called for sixty-three lane violations. Think about that. You got you have to obey the rules, right? Yep, I completely agree. Um, I think I think we're gonna look back, and there are very few blemishes on LeBron James' legacy at this point. But. And, and honestly, it does seem like game to game, more people seem to be coming around on LeBron. <laughs> I don't know if this is something that people are going to be able to get over. Yeah, it, we're going to look back, I think. And cheating on free throws. Cheating on free throws. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be tough. Yeah, and I mean, to be slightly serious for just a half second here, like, it's not like we're talking as if he's like broad jumping and laying it in like on the free throw. Like he's barely stepping into the lane, which like if you want to call that an advantage, I guess. I mean, the guy just went one of six at the line doing it yesterday, so... I, I don't know what the complaint is. I think the, I mean, the only time that's even a factor is if the ball comes straight back to you yeah. and you catch it, like you miss your free, you, you hit the free throw off the front of the rim, you brick it so hard that it comes right. straight back to you. And the fact that you had six, you had half your foot in the lane yeah, was I, the difference in you getting the I rebound. I, yeah. I mean, I'd, I guess if, you know, if that's what you have to cling to as do, a Pacers fan, so be it. Do, I mean, are those the same? I mean, I assume they watch everybody commit lane violations. Uh, I mean, everyone they, else, always, everyone like, else, the entire like on right. both sides commit lane violations on every mm-hmm. single free throw. Last night, when when Curry checked into that Warriors game, which we'll get to, uh, it was like four minutes left in the first or something like that. During a free throw, he was he was like tucking in his jersey and saying, you know, talking to the coaches on the bench. Was literally standing like a foot inside the three point line. <laughs> so like, I don't know if, if we're gonna we either have to choose if we're going to enforce it. I, w- I wouldn't mind if they enforced it, but you just can't. Right. You can't not enforce it for an entire series and then do it randomly on like his third free throw attempt of the night, you know, against Toronto. But it yeah. doesn't help that LeBron is also changing his free throw form like once every three weeks. So it's, it's a lot to keep up with. That to me seems like one of those things where like the ref warns you. Yeah. Like if you like it, you know, you like, hey, you're stepping up, like don't step over the right. line because I'm I have to call it if I see it again. And yeah. Then, and I think you have to call it, like you said, in a situation where you're trying to get the rebound. You yeah. Know, if it's like end of game and you're you're throwing it off the rim and then, you you know, you're stepping in too quick. Like, yeah, that's a very clear advantage. Not when you're shooting the first of two <laughs> the in the middle of the second quarter. <laughs> Um, Kendrick Perkins and Drake mm. got into it in this game. That was probably the biggest takeaway for me. I don't know what happened. Seemed to be some sort of miscommunication. I can't imagine that either of these people know who the other is. I mean, no. Kendrick Perkins, no chance. He he doesn't seem like he'd be listening to a ton of Drake. 
Not really. I mean, Kendrick, he also, didn't Kendrick Perkins announce via Twitter that he was on the Cavs way before the Cavs yes. actually signed him? Like he Correct. deleted that and everything. That that doesn't really have anything specifically to do with this. Yeah. But He'd, he seems like he maybe would be more of like a papoose guy, uh, maybe a Bun B guy. Yeah. I saw someone tweet that he is like, Kendrick Perkins looks like the only Gorilla Zoe fan ever. Uh, one, true. Two, I like Gorilla Zoe. I was always stand by Gorilla Zoe. Um, so there is more than one. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Drake, like, it sounded like Drake, like, legitimately wanted to fight Kendrick Perkins, which would have been a pretty cool way for Drake to die. We haven't had, <laughs> we haven't had, like, a big time celebrity death rapper game. Death. Yeah. Like, you know, you and I are a little young. Like, I don't know. When, when did Tupac and Biggie die? Like, 98, 99? I like, I don't know who those people were at the time. You no. know, we were six or seven. You know, this would be crazy. This would be our version <laughs> of that. Like, Drake was killed by an active NBA player during a game. During, at yeah. The, you know, at, a month before his album comes out. Unbelievable. Right. So I, I guess we dodge a bullet there, although they're playing again tomorrow. So I guess we'll, yeah. I'm assuming Drake will probably be there. I, <laughs> hopefully the saga will continue. Uh, all right, let's talk quickly about Kevin Love. You mentioned he was not good. 15 of 57 from the field over his last five games. 7 of 35 from two-point range. He's shooting 35% at the rim in the playoffs. Um, and a Raptors writer earlier today tweeted out that the Raps uh, shot 10 of 11 from the field at the rim with Love as the primary <laughs> defender, which was basically just Valanciunas over and over. I mean, Valanciunas had a 20-20 game. He did. And Kevin Love had like a... 11 9 game or something Classic. like that he is just he's bad he's he's really bad i think he's being bothered by the thumb it's his offhand but you can tell like you know there, there's been a couple plays one or two in each of the last few games where he's in a crowd trying to grab a rebound or trying to clear something and it just doesn't it doesn't seem like he has his usual command he's not throwing out the passes um and that's certainly a concern because I mean, people have been joking that Kyle Korver is the Cavs' second best player, but that really hasn't been disputable since like game five of the Pacers series. Yeah, Kyle Korver, <laughs> Kyle Korver being able to just drill threes is 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 massive. Um, because yeah, I mean, Kevin Love, I I wish I understood what was going on. And it's, it's because no one will come out and say anything about it. Like, he, it's just one of those things where Kevin Love's going to be like, well, I have to play better. Right. And then like, well, he does. <laughs> yeah. And then Tyrone, you know, Tyrone Lewis is just going to be like, well, he has to, he has to play better. He has to get in a rhythm. And <laughs> everyone's Windhorst is going to be like, uh, his hand probably still hurts, yeah. but even he doesn't know. Like, so I, I don't know if we're really ever going to get an answer. Like maybe one game, he'll just randomly go like 20 of 27 and then, We'll wonder what happened, but <laughs> he snaps out of it with like a fifty-eight point performance. <laughs> exactly. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly in play. The Cavs have also gotten nothing from any of the guys that they traded for. I guess George Hill was okay in Game Seven, from what I was able to gather. Uh, but Larry Nance didn't even play in Game One of this last series. Nance it's kind of been him not. or Tristan. Jordan Clarkson continues to look like the second coming of Monte Ellis. Uh, Rodney Hood. I was looking at game score. Um, <laughs> which is not a perfect metric like all metrics, but basically just rates, you know, each game on a scale of one to whatever. I think, I think technically you could get like a million game score if you had a million points. Okay. Uh, LeBron's average game score is a 30.0, which is extremely, extremely high. Uh, the next highest on the Cavs is a 6.8. That's through their first eight playoff games. Uh, the Pacers had five guys in that series who – had a, a better average game score than any non-LeBron Cav. Right. 
So you, you could have just basically plucked any of the Pacers' top five players, and they would have been Throw them in there. far and away the second best player for the Cavs in that series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not that that's really news uh, to anyone. I think the narrative um, the narrative has, I, don't, I wouldn't say shifted quite yet because, you know, we'll see. It's still only game two of the second round. But the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about this series before we move on is at what point in the public image or in the public eye is LeBron allowed to lose and it'll be acceptable? You know, like where, where's the median where we'll be like, okay, this is, this is literally the furthest he could take them. I think, I think just, I think if, if what we've seen through the first eight games of the playoffs uh, for them is what continues, then I think that's it. Like, I think, I think if Kevin Love continues to be this player, he he has to if if Larry Nance can't get in the game, Rodney Hood's a, minus, a net rating of minus eighteen through eight games. That's incredible. He's be, he's had the single worst plus minus of any player in the playoffs. Rodney Hood, despite yeah. he's only played twenty minutes in like two games so far, he's been a minus like fifty nine. I remember I remember um, I got into a I don't know if it was a Twitter argument about Rodney Hood, hmm. but a Jazz fan reassured me. Is when he was still on the Jazz relatively early in the season that Rodney Hood is in fact very valuable because he's a really good pull up uh, three point shooter. Um, I, I I will dispute that. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think I mean I, I really do think like if if this just keeps happening, like if these games are grinded out, everyone's shooting terribly besides like Kyle Korver, um, then I mean because personally I if LeBron can't take this team any farther than the second round, then I. I don't think I can blame him for that. No, I mean, I, th- I think smart, rational basketball fans have probably would have been okay with him losing in five to the Pacers. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, I, I don't think that's who ultimately really decides a lot of these things, that's the true. legacy questions. Um, that might be a poll to put up on Undisputed. I'm not really sure. Uh, but, yeah, it, it does feel like after winning game one, it'll, it'll somehow be a disappointment if the Cavs don't win this series. I mean, like we said, the Vegas odds already now have them back as the favorite in the East. Yeah, because some role players proved they could kind of have a have a pretty good game, and that was yeah. really that really just shifted the whole thing. It was like, well, they went from being terrible to some of them being pretty solid, and yeah, and even that might be pushing it. Right, like LeBron and himself was was pretty solid in game one. Pretty solid, like and so I guess maybe here's here's a better question: if if the let's say the Cavs win the series in six, they close it out at home uh, in game six, what? like who would this be a a convincing win for the Cavs where you'd feel good about it or would it be more of a more looked upon as like the the Raptors blowing it or you know same old Raptors I feel like it'd be more the latter I think so too and probably rightfully so yeah yeah I mean you clearly the best team in the east like without right. a doubt for most of the season yeah well it's two teams that have kind of since lebron came back to cleveland it's it's kind of been those two you know there have been some other yeah. other teams in the east you know the first the bulls were still decent lebron's first year back but the last few years those have been the teams that have met up and it's like the raptors have been on the slow ascent the Cavs, i think plateaued last year and took a, a in terms of talent a very deep dive yeah you know back about six seasons this year <laughs> So it's like this is the Raptors' best team that they've had by far, and this is the Cavs' worst team by far. And if that if that bad Cavs team were to be the one that beats the best Raptors team again, you know, to me, I think that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. And then you, then I don't know what Toronto does. It's, we've asked this question 
they've been eliminated each of the last two years and we've asked you know do they have to blow it up they keep running it back if you lose this series especially in five or six i i don't know what the answer is because boston's going to be much better next year philly's going to be much better next year cleveland can end up being better depending on what lebron's able to pull off i mean i just i don't know what you do i don't know either because they they i think they got i mean they did all that they could do minus changing the coach which was basically having the coach Mm -hmm. change the 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 scheme right um kyle lowry like i said completely roll shift and in that aspect demar Derozan shooting threes everyone wanted it from him um they got a full year of serge ibaka valanchunas had a great year um and they got like their young guys like purgle looks good when he plays um but as far as like i yeah i mean because they don't have any financial flexibility either like i'm looking at their cap sheet right now and next year it's basically everyone is on the books that was on the books this year except lucas nagara and fred van vliet and they probably want van vliet back yes they do i you gotta wonder if they regret that norm powell extension not that it was you know a max contract or anything like that but i didn't he was mostly yeah they gave him like kind of the mini that the, like the role player extension basically yeah. and that did it's not, a tony snell extension right yeah there. right i mean it, he's probably probably worse than tony snell i mean he could barely crack the rotation this year lowry makes 31 mil next year 33 mil the year after and then he's unrestricted yeah Ugh. i 33 mil in two years is not gonna look good i didn't i didn't really like I, I don't i don't i don't blame the raptors for like running the thing back and deciding yeah. they wanted to like change the coaching because this team is like clearly good and like right. their top three you know four if you want to include valentinus is like very solid like they're good players but um lowry that's 30 million dollars to kyle lowry when he's going to be in his mid-30s wasn't all that athletic to begin with um has had injury issues in the past like he hasn't i mean i'm looking at his games played right now like he's never played 80 games Mm -hmm. um I mean, most of the time he's, he's 60, 70, 68, 79. Like he, he has some healthy years, but like, I shoot, he shot 42% from the field this year. Like I, and DeRozan's not that efficient either. Like no. it's, I, I think they've, they've hit their ceiling in some ways. That's, that's for sure. I think that's what I, I'm trying to get to. Like, <laughs> I, I legitimately think that this is not just piling on after they lost game one. Like I think every single team in the Western conference playoffs would beat them in a series. Like, I don't even know if that's a take. Probably not. I mean, I, what team in the West is is like not a significantly better than the Wizards, who almost beat them in a series? You know, like that's true to me. Like Minnesota handles Toronto in six, and like Utah maybe in seven. OKC maybe they're the only one. I don't know. Portland. I think y- Portland's better than Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I think so. At least too. in the playoffs. I mean, Toronto regular season. You know, it's pretty unimpeachable. They were great, but it's there's enough of a sample now that you have to adjust for this like this has happened enough times that they're not the same team in the playoffs yeah um i'm getting getting fired up talking about yeah, this it's yeah, really it's, hot in here too <laughs> so let's talk Celtics sixers um i don't have quite as many thoughts on this one shocked by the game one result that's for sure um you know celtics closed out milwaukee in pretty convincing fashion on saturday but at the same time like i said earlier the way that philly closed out miami and had time to rest i kind of thought they were just going to keep this rolling nothing about their last like two months said that they wouldn't um but i think they ran into a really good coach they ran into a team that doesn't seem to notice that its three best players were out 
Um, and all of a sudden, I mean, I, I think I'll still pick Philly to win this series, but yeah. it's it's already you know going much differently than I expected it to. Yeah, I mean them them being able the Celtics being able to pull the thing out without Jalen Brown is is crazy. Um, I mean Embiid Embiid had a monster game, but Simmons did not. Uh, Simmons was minus twenty one, had seven turnovers with six assists. Um, the I I think the main takeaway was that the the seventy sixers could not hit a three at all. They went uh, five of twenty six from three, and the the Celtics are. That's the thing. The Celtics have always been under Brad Stevens, a really good Mm -hmm. uh, team at defending the three point line. And the 76ers live on the three point line a lot. And they're not going to shoot 19% for the whole series. But um, if, if they can't get to the, if they can't get to their usual spots and hit those shots, then it's going to be really tough for them. Um, But in really, I mean, Philly really only decidedly lost like the second quarter, like the first quarter they were only, you know, they only lost the first quarter by three points. They only lost the third quarter by one point and they only lost the fourth quarter by four points. So other than the second quarter, this was a pretty close game and it kind of came down to threes. I mean, essentially missed threes and um, the fact that Boston got to the free throw line a, a ton. Yeah. Um, actually, no, sorry. The other way around. Philly gets to the free throw line a ton. So I, I think Philly still wins. I, I think so I too. Just can't, I mean, can you imagine? Brad can you imagine really this, this good of a coach? I don't get it. Like, what does he do? Like, it's not like they're running these like intricate sets every single time down the floor. I mean, is it player development? I, if, if he takes this team to the Eastern Conference finals, I, we, we have to get, yes, everyone has to get back their ballots for coach of the year yeah. and just redo the whole, if they didn't write Brad Stevens before i don't know what's more convincing at this point like i understood at the end of the regular season like if you want like quinn snyder brett brown or whoever yeah mike d'antoni like i whatever but if if this team manages to go to the eastern conference finals then i would consider brad stevens coach of the year if if we get a celtics raptors eastern conference final Mm -hmm. somehow i might quit my job and just get out of the NBA business. You just switch to MLB. I I might just retire from sports in general. I don't oh, know. Wow. That might be it. I might I might just retire permanently. Like, I don't I don't have much of a nest egg built. Up, <laughs> that, that might be enough to permanently. You've already, well, you experienced living off the grid for four days in right. Alabama. You might be able to just yeah, move to the. I think woods I was onto something there and yeah. do the whole thing. <laughs> um, that would be the worst East Finals ever. I think that's not really a stretch to say. Um, not and not because of like anything these teams did necessarily but it's like the raptors just aren't good and the celtics don't have their best players and they're they're very clear third best player you know i don't know what i mean he's got a hamstring injury where it's not like he you know has a bruised quad or something like this is not a super serious injury but also not something you know i think i think the celtics or celtics fans were at least like pretty confident he'll be back tomorrow i don't know that that's the case he's listed as doubtful this morning i mean yeah. it wouldn't be shocking if he misses like one or two more games hamstrings um, are tough for yes like they they like chris milton tore his hamstring right it's not right off tearing. the bone yeah <laughs> pretty disgusting uh those are really tough to come back from even yep. if they're pretty minor yeah i mean as two guys who play basketball once or twice a week i think we can attest to that like better than just about yeah. anyone uh ben simmons also got not a rookie chance in boston I, i'm over that not sure like, where the celtics never feel like they need to butt in on this uh, i don't know if this is like a late <laughs> push for tatum <laughs> it, it, it's like it's not their art it's not yeah, their right? like, it's not their fight 
Yeah, it's like I, they just walked into this other. It's like they, you see two guys like having a fist fight, and you're like, yeah. I really just think this guy's right, and right. you just you just you're not even <laughs> yeah, part get of him, it. Get him. <laughs> yeah. I like if they were playing the Jazz in this series for some reason, if the Jazz switch conferences and were playing the Celtics in the second round, like they would absolutely find a way to taunt Donovan Mitchell. You know, with like a Simmons is better chant or something. Like, I think it was just going to happen no matter just, what. Yeah, the crowd just really like taunting Mitchell about his like right. three point efficiency compared to Tatum yeah. or something like that. Like a very elaborate <laughs> chant, <laughs> like just yelling out percentages. Uh, some someday our crowds will will catch up and be that sophisticated. Yeah. Um, okay, a couple quick things on the Bucks and the Wizards. Obviously, both of those teams are eliminated. Can we hopefully make this like our final discussion on Jabari until something actually happens? <laughs> because before like as of like game three of the series i was up in arms about jabari couldn't believe how bad he'd been then he kind of talked to the media got some things out there and along with thon maker turning it on in game three like that was jabari's big kind of breakout and he he was good in three four five not not quite so good toward the end of the series to me though i do i do feel like he like slightly boosted his stock just because it was like at an all-time low at the start of the series Giannis at his exit interview said sounded at least very confident that Jabari would be back I don't know if that like to me Giannis isn't the type of guy who's like shrewd enough to use this as like a way that like LeBron would to send a message you know that we need to bring him back I don't know to me that just probably sounded like him towing the company line and just saying the right thing yeah um but I, I have no idea what I want to happen I don't know what's going to happen I mean what we discussed earlier about cap flexibility in my mind, probably helps the Bucks because it limits the number of teams that can theoretically bid up Jabari Parker. Um, yeah, and I think at the right price, the Bucks will bring him back and want to bring him back. Yeah, it's because it's a matter of what that number is. Exactly, because the lack of cap flexibility puts yes. them in a spot where it's like if we if you don't sign him for two years, then you have nothing, right? More or less, and the only thing you would use your cap room for is to absorb to for a trade to have like a different. A, less money commit i i like well the way that their contracts are structured it's not like they can look and be like all right we're gonna all we're gonna save up and then go sign two max guys in 2020 like it's not it just doesn't work that way the way that they've kind of put these bad contracts on the books right um so yeah i mean in order for them to really free up space you would have to you know you'd almost have to like use middleton as a way to get off of henson's deal or get off of delhi's deal or, or something like that which you know you never want to do obviously that's pretty drastic but the bucks are not a destination for free agents in the first place so you you know teams like that do have to sometimes get creative yeah i mean the thing is with jabari and it's it's obviously really tough because he'd lost a lot of like developmental time because Mm -hmm. of the the acls but just from watching him for the past four years which it doesn't feel like it's been four years um but the only thing i've really seen him improve at dramatically is his three-point shooting jumping too jump yeah um straight (laughs) um and other than that he still like fumbles the ball a lot some of his passes i don't really understand um still a turnstile on defense especially off ball um i it's I, i don't know I you it's, it's a ridiculously tough decision for the Bucks, especially because then they have you you have to ask all the coaching questions too it's like well oh is this like a, a Jason Kidd thing like if I if we bring in a different coach who you who puts players in positions to succeed better are we going to see a Jabari Parker that is more efficient handles the ball less gets a lot of like 
lobs. Because mm-hmm. I remember the fir- his first couple of years in Milwaukee, he was getting baseline dunks like it was like he was he was leading the league in dunks at one point, yeah. like halfway through a season. I think um, him and Giannis at one point were like number two and number seven on the list or something. Yeah. yeah. And so if you can get that version of him back, um, that's great. But, you know, and then it's like, at what number? And he turned down a pretty, I think, reasonable contract given the situation. Uh, yeah. I which, think he turned down more money than he's probably going to end up getting. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I, we may just have to permanently table this until... He, he turned down, and this is a report. I, for, I feel like I don't know if I read this or I could just be making this up, like, I don't know if it was ever officially confirmed that this was offered and he declined it, but the rumors and the reports back, you know, in February were that he turned down an extension worth about 18 million. So it would have been three for 54. That's I don't see him getting, lot. I don't see him doing better than that. I think he could, somebody maybe gives him that. I, I would not want to pay that money for Jabari Parker. 18 million is a lot. seems like a lot. Um, 54 million doesn't seem like a lot, but 18 million for some reason seems like a lot. Yeah. It, it it does um especially when you have to it's it's tough when you have to figure out like the money situation for guys you assume you don't play defense yeah like it, it's kind of like the isaiah thomas argument well it's like oh if he's a top three offensive right. player but he's a bottom three defensive player is it like do you give him half the max right like, well, <laughs> like and, but with jabari he's not good enough to excuse that no where the isaiah last year was good enough you, yeah you can make the argument to, though, like, to excuse the defense Kyrie for most of his career you know, a lot of players have, have kind of followed that mold, but like Jabari, it maybe if you think in two years he'll be good enough. I guess that's that's a wild gamble that that you can take at your own risk. But he's in a slightly above average offensive player and one of the five worst defensive players in the NBA. Like to me, that doesn't equal eighteen million dollars a year. No, but as we've discussed before, like the one he's still so young and was such a prodigy for so many years that like. It, you're still that like five percent chance that you don't want to be the team that let him walk at age 22 and then you know fast forward three years and he's looking like a perennial all-star yeah. I, don't, I don't think we're past that point i don't think that's going to happen but if you want to rationalize the bucks throwing in money alongside the other cap stuff that we mentioned you know it it makes some sense i, I guess from that perspective yeah all right let's finish out on the wizards okay what's the long-term plan here uh some have <laughs> some have called for john wall to be traded i still like john wall i like john i wall. don't love the money that they're paying him you know i think i think that could end up being somewhat <laughs> of a blake situation probably not quite so bad um i think he just had a down year to be honest yeah he was injured a lot yeah like i wouldn't uh, i just don't see him as like this huge detriment he was pretty good in this in this first round series yeah, brad beal was. was not great they're just they have no depth they probably had the worst bench maybe outside of the Cavs of any playoff team um they just they have to find a way you know i don't know if that means flipping one of their top three guys flipping Ubre, flipping picks like they need to get deeper uh, i think they have a good starting five gortat probably isn't a part of that for too much longer um so you got to find an answer at center and then you just you just need to have more competent six seven eight nine and maybe even down to ten guys for the regular season yeah and i mean their their cap situation other than i mean they, they have so much money committed to the you know, they're, they're top three guys, Porter, Beal, Wall, Mahin, me. Um, but after, I mean, in, in eighteen nineteen, so next year, the rest of their roster is expiring contracts. The whole roster, like Gortat, Markeith Morris, like everyone. So you have complete flexibility aside from one mistake of a contract, which most teams have one or two 
mistake contracts on their team the the wizards really only have one who are you talking about with the wizards <laughs> um you know uh jody meeks um but so i mean i they'll they'll have flexibility like relatively soon so i think you know a lot of these guys like wall ventiga's frustrations right and has a lot saying we need athletic bigs and then scott brooks is they like went out and got ty lawson <laughs> we right. and scott brooks there's a report saying he wants to spread the floor and shoot more threes and then all these are like low-key shots at gortat and then you know gortat i saw him say that he thinks the team needs to hit the weight room more which <laughs> <laughs> what this that, is the guy who in the a, middle of the season said he wants to go play for the magic yeah he's like i yeah he, in the middle of the season i want to play for the magic then the season's over everyone's taking shots <laughs> also at my him. teammates are weak <laughs> my team my teammates cannot bench so the solution is much. either everybody gets stronger and marching go top becomes a knockdown three-point shooter or you get different guys you laugh but you know that's those are uh those are the those are the two options you get different guys mm-hmm. or um you know john wall gets built like lebron and Gortat hits corner threes. He, John Wall definitely bulked up uh, this season. Didn't he say he ended up losing like twenty pounds when he was hurt? He, I like, think, how did you have twenty pounds to lose? Like, why did you not <laughs> lose this before? Like, how did you lose pounds after you got hurt with a knee injury? Yeah, um, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't think he was in the greatest shape. I, I'm not out on John Wall just yet. No, he's still pretty young. Like the way people are talking about this contract, it's like he's 34 years old and he's going to be 38 when it's over. Like. No, man's John Wall. I, I mean, the, the injury history is concerning. The fact that he hasn't still quite developed a reliable three-point shot is a little concerning, but... He's 37% this year, for what it's worth. Right, exactly. I mean, I think that was the big thing with him, was that he, he wasn't a consistent shooter. You know, can he keep it up? We'll see. I, I mean, there are a lot worse players you could give that money to, I guess, than John Wall. Yeah, and I I like Otto Porter. Um, not, I think he's a little overpaid. Um, I like Bradley Beal. I'm okay with his contract. So I, I think the I think their idea, like their core three players, mm-hmm. makes sense. But it also feels like they're missing like a def, like a defined number two, if that makes sense. Because like Bradley Beal is like the number two, but it's, I think he's the defined number two. He just doesn't always play like it. Yeah. So I don't know. They remind me a lot of like last year's Raptors mm-hmm. and the 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 old the, the older iteration of the Raptors where it's like you have these really two like clearly good all-star caliber backcourt players um but the rest of the team isn't really getting it done these two guys can't can't carry them past the first round of the playoffs for some reason mm-hmm. um it's it's tough I think yeah they have the Raptors comp is extremely accurate like they have two really good perennial all-star caliber players who, when you line up the top players in the league, probably aren't inside the top 10. Definitely aren't inside the top 10. Might not even be inside the top 15. You know, and that's yeah. where you run into issues in a playoff series, is that you don't have, you know, not only if you don't have a top five guy, but if you have like a board, you don't even have a borderline top 15 guy, it's extremely hard to win, especially when you have no bench, which the, the Wizards do not. Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of like what I'm saying is like, Bradley Beal is definitely the number two, but it's like he's not number two and he's not it's like it would you can he be your second best player if you're gonna go to the eastern conference finals yeah if lebron's your best player yes if john wall's your best player no yeah like if you yeah trade bradley beal and Otto porter for paul george and this is a i don't know kyle corver and paul george (laughs) if the Cavs Cavs are willing to give up (laughs) kyle corver um okay let's uh let's wrap this thing up who's winning tonight game two utah at houston Houston. Yeah, I think Houston wins the series. I mean, the Rubio loss 
seems big. They, it, <laughs> for whatever reason, I mean, he was really good in that first round series, but that uh, that's a big piece for them. Yeah, I, th- I think Houston. They still. It feels like they haven't played all that well this whole, these whole playoffs. I mean, they had that one quarter against Minnesota, um, and obviously they won that series fairly convincingly. But I, th- I think Houston still has another level to get to. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 a ridiculous team, and I I don't know if they're not you know in in fourth gear right now if they're kind of cruising through as as doing as little effort as they can kind of like the warriors <laughs> would want to um but at this point it does kind of seem like the like if we end up getting the boston toronto eastern conference finals then the real nba finals is warriors rockets i think that's the real finals no matter what like what team in the east even like maybe philly can take a game from one of those two teams like after watching we didn't even touch on golden state watching after watching them last night and watching steph look like if if it's impossible like he had no rust whatsoever he came in and literally (laughs) hit a shot immediately uh a really tough pull up three and was awesome and was clearly the best player and it's, it's extremely evident how much how much better they are with him I I've never been more confident that the Warriors are going to win the finals in four games. And again, I, I I know that I presented that as if it's a take. I don't think it is like they're going to beat the Rockets. (laughs) And then whoever comes out of the East, they're going to easily just like think if they played the Raptors, they would win every single one of those games by 20 plus points. No doubt in my mind. Uh, Yeah, because everyone's healthy. I think. Yeah, I would give Philly a better shot than I mean, I picked Philly to go to the finals. so I'm giving Philly a better shot than Philly's the only team that I think could even remotely give either of these teams problems and then and even then it's like philly just lost by 15 to the to the celtics yeah so <laughs> i and i i that's i could still see houston beating golden state yeah like i i still feel that's a real possibility um but even in that case i see houston taking care of whoever's in the east um right. so yeah, yeah no i agree i think houston houston will they're not going to get swept by golden state i mean i think golden state in six against houston I mean, they're just they're just too good when they when they get going. Like the Pelicans are extremely good and played pretty well last night, and it just didn't played matter. Really like, well. The Warriors yeah. didn't even play well. Clay Thompson was four of twenty. Durant had a nice run, I think, in the fourth, but before that was really bad. Draymond had a great game. Steph was great, but you know, somewhat limited. Didn't even play the first eight minutes of the game. They're just they're just too good. Their top four are too good. Yeah. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.